Pastor Ed Taylor with the gospel in a nutshell. You're messed up. Jesus came to die for you and he took, he, if you give your life to him, then he will take all your guilt and shame and forgive you right now. Do you want to be saved? And I would say that to you today. You can listen to the 40-minute message version or the 40-second version, but they're both the same. God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You One of the great things about being a Christian is having the confidence that God has a plan for everything that comes our way in life. So we have every reason to trust Him. More on that in a moment, but first, let me welcome you to Abounding Grace. We'll be reminded on today's broadcast that having the right perspective makes all the difference. It frees us to focus on going deeper in our relationship with the Lord. With more about the glorious atonement, here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 1 Peter 3.18. This is one of the clearest, most wonderful verses on the cross of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. He suffered once, notice the next word, for, one time, for sins. And then notice, who is the recipient? The unjust. Jesus, the just, suffering once for sins of the unjust. The just in exchange for the unjust. And the purpose that he might bring us to God. It says he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is never to be repeated ever again. Never. It will never be repeated, neither does it need to be repeated, because it is finished. It's so powerful, and it's wonderful. The reason why it's important to emphasize the word once is because many of you either came out of the Roman Catholic Church or still are connected in some way by family or friends to Roman Catholicism, and this one verse in all the Bible, this one verse that is packed with so much truth, undermines the false teachings that say Jesus is to continually be sacrificed through the Mass service on Sunday. That the Mass, and some of you may already know this, but the Mass is a re-crucifying of Jesus at the hands of the priest for the sins of the people. The Bible says no. The Bible says no. Jesus died how many times, church? Once. One time. He's never to die again. He died once for sins, the just for the unjust. It's over. It's finished. Your salvation is secure. When, When we celebrate communion together, we celebrate communion looking back on a completed, finished work. When we take of the elements together, as significant and as mysterious as they are, as we come together in unity as a church and we come together in unity with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, communion is symbolic as we look back on the finished work. It is not a breaking again of the bread so that mysteriously it becomes the body in your mouth. No, it is simply a wafer or a piece of bread because it points back to the bread, remember, that Jesus broke and gave 
which also was symbolic. They literally ate the bread that he gave them, which was symbolic of what? The crucifixion that was to come, his broken body. So even the bread that was in Jesus' hands was symbolic. When he says, take, eat, this is my body, it didn't grow on his body, it was still bread. And he broke the bread and he passed the bread and it was still bread. Same with the cup. The cup did not become the blood of Jesus Christ when he handed the cup to those at the seating, reclining with him at the Passover meal. It was still wine in his hand and it was still wine when it was passed along. It did not become blood. It hadn't been shed yet. So even in the hands of Jesus, the elements were symbolic. And so when we look back upon them, the bread speaks of the broken body of Jesus that died once for sins. The cup speaks of Jesus' blood spilled once for us. We look back and enjoy the blessing of knowing that we are saved. Not that we hope to be saved. Not that we hope one day we'll make it. Not that one day we hope we will not wait in a waiting period in purgatory to find out if we'll make it out of there. The work of Jesus Christ is finished. And the reason I emphasize it on this particular verse is not to bring any offense to our friends that may be in Roman Catholicism, but rather knowing this will go out on the radio all over the country, knowing people are listening right now, I'm just asking you to put down your religious teachings and let the Bible give you freedom in Christ. Let God, let God free you from empty religion. Let God free you with the truth. You don't have to live in fear or under the weight of guilt your whole life. Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. And if you repent of your sins today, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can know that you know that you know you are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not because you deserve it, right? You know what you deserve. I know what I deserve. So we don't want to pass over a simple verse like this. And I would encourage you, search the scriptures. Prove me wrong from the Bible. But I know that that's not possible because we're just simply reading one verse out of the Bible. It's what it says right here. You don't have to wait till you face God to know that you're saved. You can know that today. Isn't that a tragic way to live your life? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm not sure. Did I do enough? You, re, you live your whole life. And, and that, what, what that's called is a works-based relationship with God. And it places the emphasis of your salvation on your works. God never intended that. What works could we possibly offer to God that would merit the forgiveness of our sins? All of our works, the Bible speaks, are like filthy rags. They don't measure up to anything, to the holy and righteous standard of God. So we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work. A constant enemy of your assurance is doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief keep a believer wandering, wondering, and weak. Doubting literally is, is, doubting is defined as this, being uncertain, unsure, distrustful and disbelieving and or it can also mean lacking conviction. So I just want to take that word distrustful for a second. There are relationships we have in the world that involves a distrust, you know, with another person. Maybe we've been hurt, we've been burned. But when you doubt God, it's easier to say I doubt God because that's an easier word to live. But when you doubt the promises of God, when I doubt God himself, I don't trust him. I'm not living in faith and trusting God. 
And I don't know how many of us would be willing to say, yeah, I'm just living in a time right now where I don't trust God. I don't really believe his promises. Rather than choosing to trust him in the moment, moment by moment. Sometimes we'll even doubt our own salvation. And I think that the thing about doubting is it's not like we want to live that way. It's not like we like it. (laughs) But it is a part of the human condition. The, the truth about doubt is, number one, it's not like we always, like, like we really want to, but, but a greater truth about doubt is that you really don't need to. We don't really need to choose to live by, by, by a lack of faith or doubt or just always living in that realm. I'm not sure and I'm not. Like we can take the insurities and just lay them before the Lord. Like the Bible says, you know, we can cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Faith is what brought you into his family, and faith will keep you to the end. <laughs> and he, we learned earlier in chapter 1 that we are kept by the power of God. It's sad. It's sad to me as a pastor and also as a fellow believer. It grieves me because I know many churches, they live and teach in such a legalistic way that they keep people doubting their whole life whether they're saved. And they just don't really want to give and allow the Holy Spirit to give that assurance. So they, they put guilt trips and they teach things where if you didn't do it this and, and then you like, well, did I do it? You say, well, you did it, but you didn't do it right. Well, who determines who do, does it right? We determine. And then your whole relationship then is in relationship to leaders, to pastors, to ter- teachings of churches and even so-called churches. In order to control their congregation, the pastor is trained how to keep people guessing and depending on man. But Jesus desires and commands that our trust be in him alone. The object of our faith is not a human being, not a teacher, not a pastor, not a priest, not a church movement. Our trust is to be in a person, the risen and powerful Jesus Christ. And verse 18 is so powerful and and, and plain for us. And in my title of the message, remember I used the word vicarious. I want to teach you that word. Because it's an important theological word. But it's not as hard as it sounds like most theological words. Vicarious is a beautiful word. I want you to learn it and keep it and just start talking. You know, if you want to talk to people about the atonement of Christ, you want to talk to people about the blood of Jesus Christ, you, you get into that conversation, you can say, well, the sacrifice of Jesus was vicarious. And perhaps they know what it means, and perhaps they don't. But it, this definition is very simple. Vicarious means this, in place of. That's all it means. In place of. And you can personalize that. You could say the vicarious atonement of Jesus, his death and resurrection, was in place of me. And that's what that word just for unjust, that's another way of saying in place of. And he even identifies them. The just, the perfect one, died for us imperfect ones. It was vicarious. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, listen. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Another verse of vicarious atonement. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. He gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. 
There is no other way to salvation than through Jesus Christ. He alone is your vicarious substitute. Let's just be clear here. We, in that verse, verse 18, are the unjust. We're the unjust. Jesus is the just. So because of that, he gave his life for us. Or even more so, he gave his life for you. And it it draws out of us to think of what Jesus has done for us far more than just a religious response. Just a desire to go through the motions. It draws out from us a true dedication of our lives to fulfill his high calling for us. And there is no other way. It's his perfect life for our imperfect life. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says, There is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus came into this world not just to be born in Bethlehem and assume humanity, not just to show us how to live, not just to relieve the pain and suffering of a few thousand people, not just to sympathize and empathize with us. He he came into this world to suffer, to bleed and die, to be buried, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The plan of God involved this glorious exchange, his life for yours, That's why the Bible declares to us that in in salvation, what we are new creations in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's the power that you have to walk away from addiction. That's the power you have to be the wife that God wants you to be, to be the husband. That's the power that God has to give you strength to step out in faith, to obey, to give sacrificially, to, to approach a stranger and ask how you might serve them. That's the kind of power that gives, that's the kind of work that God wants to do in your life that will take you and now you have two identities as a newborn believer. You have the old you, apart from Christ, and the new you in Christ. This one verse, what Jesus did for us, radically changes lives. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can change you. Only Jesus can rescue you. And you really could offer to me very, some of you right now listening, you could offer to me the things that you have tried that have not worked to get you to the place where your heart longs to be. You have tried. And some people will even say, well, you know, I've tried Christianity. Well, you're almost there. You're almost there. You're so close by trying Christianity. You got right to the edge. And now I want to invite you, try dying to yourself and submit your life to Jesus. Because everyone that has ever followed what the Bible has said and submitted their life by faith can testify to the supreme power of God that dwells in them and their new creations in Christ. If you're a new creation in Christ in the room today, just say amen. You ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. So you're surrounded by people. And I'm sure uh, if some of you had a pretty crazy past that God delivered you from, say amen to that. One, two, three. Amen. So almost everybody. (laughs) Think of that. Some of you were born in a Christian home. You know the power of God. You know how that is manifest in your life. God kept you from things. 
For most of us, we got delivered from bad, sinful decisions and desires and consequences. But if you grew up in a Christian home, it's almost like you had a greater, you, you had a greater battle to have to deal with. But the power of God kept you from. We got delivered out of, you got kept from. It's the same power. And we all end up in the same place. We're going to end up with the Bema seat of Christ. There will be rewards given. And what will we do with our rewards? Toss them right back at the feet of Jesus. It's like, thank you, Lord. You're so good for what you've done to us and what you are and who you are. It all makes sense. The plan of God is a glorious exchange. Jesus taking our place. All of our guilt and shame and sin, all of the suffering that is in the world, all of our pain and problems will be transferred to him. And all of his holiness and righteousness and goodness and acceptance would be transferred to us. <laughs> Who got the better deal? <laughs> what God has done in our lives. And although Jesus, Peter says, although Jesus was put to death in the flesh, he was quickened by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active in all phases of the life of Jesus. According to Matthew chapter 1 verse 16, the Holy Spirit conceived him. According to Luke chapter 4 verse 18, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was. He offered himself without spot unto God in his death through the eternal spirit, Hebrews 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 14. He was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And now Peter affirms here the active work of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's resurrection. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. Jesus was sinless. And once he had paid the penalty of our sin, death had no more claim upon him. It was not even able to corrupt his body in the tomb. Acts chapter 2, verse 27. And why would we pause? Sometimes we pause at one verse. Sometimes we pause at studying one word. And I'll tell you why we paused here. And the timing of this was magnificent. This wasn't planned. Why would we pause on just one verse? Why would we throw out some theological words? And, and because, I, you know, I want you to learn these words because they're not as hard as they sound. People can make the Bible so difficult to understand, but it's actually not that hard to understand. And even if I simplified this and I had to give it as an, in an elevator, you know, one of those elevator speeches, I would have said, hey man, you're messed up. Jesus came to die for you. And he took, he, if you give your life to him, then he will take all your guilt and shame and forgive you right now. Do you want to be safe? And I would say that to you today. You can listen to the 40 minute message version or the 40 second version, but they're both the same. God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. I mean, if you just sit here and allow this one verse to penetrate, for me, it's humbling. This is a humbling truth. Because I can recall, unfortunately, what God saved me out of. I remember the kind of person I was. I remember people around me going, I don't know about that guy. I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think he's going to live very long and certainly any high aspirations for my life. But you know, I get to, I get to have prayer time. I get to look people in the eye and I, I, I get to say it after service at times or on the radio or whatever. I get to say, look me in the eye. I just want you to see me for a second. Just don't see me as Pastor Ed. Don't just want you to look me in the eye. Just see me as a brother. And I want you to know God can save people like me. And if God can save people like me, then the person we're praying for right now God can save them too. And he'll pursue them too. And we don't, only, we, only have, we don't only have the biblical truth, but we also, we also live it out. And if we allow it to speak to us, it's going to humble us. It's going to break us. 
It's going to bring us to the point of great worship and adoration. And that's where we're left here. You know, we're going to get into a controversial passage after this. But I wanted to pause from the controversy. Uh, And you can read ahead and we'll be there next time. But we'll get into a controversial passage and I'll explain it to you and help you understand it. But before we, you know, a lot of people like to live in the controversy of life, controversy of the Bible, controversy of the day. I prefer to live in the humble adoration of God. I just want to train and disciple us. Like, let's, let's worship God. We'll get to the difficulty soon enough. But these are things, but one last thing. These are things, this is what Peter decided to tell a group of believers that are suffering the worst in their entire life. What he wanted to remind them is, hey, don't forget the great exchange. Don't forget what Jesus, you don't need to worry about religion and you know, all those. Like when Jesus saved you, you are saved. And you're going to make it through. And if you don't make it through this suffering, you're going to make it to heaven. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus. You know, if you do make if the outward body's perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. If, if you don't make it with the outward man perishes, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. How do you stop a person like that? How do you stop a person that says, you know what? And I think in one of those books, one of the martyrs said, hey, you know, you, he, he says something like this. You can't kill me because I've died already. How do you stop a person like that with the gospel? You don't. And when you're in that place of trusting in the Lord and you're in that place of like laying, casting your cares and concerns and your doubts before him, God will meet you there. And he'll develop in you a worshipful heart. Even as we're going to sing tonight, before we leave, just a worshipful heart for the Lord to minister to us. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Peter. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. Well, Pastor Ed, it is possible after listening to today's message on the glorious atonement that someone would like to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Would you lead them in a prayer to do that? I would, Larry. I love that. So if you're in that place of understanding that you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God, where you recognize, just like the Bible says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you know that your life is not in a right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Your sins have not been forgiven, but that's where you are. You want to respond to the convicting work of the Spirit. I want to invite you to obey the Bible. If you confess with your mouth, this is what the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let me help you with that confession part as you talk to God. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you today, by the blood of Jesus Christ, to forgive me of all of my sins. I turn away from them and turn my life toward following you. I ask you to help me to live a life that pleases you. Give me a hunger for your Bible. Help me to learn how to pray and how to live my life to please and honor you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer on our website, at calvaryco.church. On our website, you can click the tab, Know God or How to Know God, and all the information that we share here with new believers is available for free, absolutely free. Get these in your hands, help you to grow in God's grace, encourage you in the things of the Lord. And I know that, man, it's an exciting time that awaits you. 
but also challenging and difficult too. So be be ready for that. Uh, there are challenges ahead, but the Lord God loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for you, and he will keep all his promises. Amen. And allow me to be the first to welcome you into the family of God. And please do let us know if you made that commitment. It would make our day. Call 877-30-GRACE. And please remember, Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Lee Strobel's excellent book, The Case for Heaven. This is a must-read for anyone who wonders what's next after we die. As a journalist, he investigates all the evidence for life after death. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. Ed Taylor is the pastor of a church nearby many of you, Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. For our service times and directions, visit us on the web at calvaryco.church. We hope to see you sometime soon. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Peter. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.